Hey folks, how you doing? I'm Corey Cooper coming at you from the UMass Amherst Marine Station in beautiful Bayview, Gloucester, right here on Hodgkin's Cove. Joined as always by my co-host, Maureen Aylward. How you doing? Good, how you doing, Corey? Great to do this with you, yeah. and we're back for another episode of Now We're Here. We have a great show lined up for you today with a ton of awesome guests. I'm telling you, this is going to be our best one so far, our heavy-hitting one, I Yeah, believe. this is a heavy hitter. Yeah, and means yeah. a lot to you as well. It does. So we're talking about climate change on this show. It's Climate Wake on Cape Ann. Uh, there's been a number of different programs around the Cape um, um, this week, so we're going to focus on some of those. And we have a lot of folks just talking about different aspects of climate change, how Cape Ann is being impacted, and lots of different things that are happening, including public art project, um, policies that are being put in place by the different municipalities, and what's happening. And our first guest... Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> let's get it right on. Katie Call the um, Extension Assistant Professor of Sustainable Fisheries and Coastal Resilience. She's embedded here at the Gloucester UMass Amherst Marine Station. Katie, welcome to the program. Thank you. Yeah, thanks Katie. Great to nice have you on. You She's our host. Um, we're really happy to be highlighting the Gloucester uh, at UMass Amherst Marine Station because you're doing so much great work out here. It's and going on. You're, you're out in Hodgkin's Cove, people drive by, and everyone's wondering about what you're doing they out here. They say, what is going on out here? Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah what's so. going on? So tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing at the Marine Station. Okay, um, so it's been a busy year and a half. Uh, we had, this summer was our first active research summer, and since this new re-envisioning of what we're up to out here. We had six students and some volunteer students as well. We had three faculty out here. We got a lot of construction wrapped up in the building just in time to welcome everybody. Um, so the offices and the conference space, uh, ADA compliant facilities, um, IT and conferencing systems have all been redone. There's still a little work to do outside. Um, but most exciting, we put in an indoor, uh, a seawater system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what's happening with that seawater yeah. system? So um, there are a couple of really huge blue tanks on the on the oh, yeah, you saw them on the inside other side of the building, of the building yeah, yeah, cool. and that allows us that that uh, brings seawater in to a couple of different lab spaces in there, and we can basically simulate what ocean climate change could could possibly do, right? So we have a series of tables, water tables inside, and we can set up tanks and different experiments in different mm. water temperatures or pH levels, mm. salinity levels to understand um, what might ocean climate change, what kind of impacts would it have on different shellfish species or, or lobsters or other marine invertebrates. So what kind of uh, specific projects are the, um, the students working on? Yeah, so um, I had a student this summer working on, well this is a, a seawater table related project, but working on developing an online tool to understand who's doing what where with regard to salt marsh resilience. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of researchers all across Massachusetts, all across New England, um, doing a lot of specific work on salt marsh resilience. This was a way to map out the projects, help connect them, help connect the research with um, municipal planners and other on-the-ground practitioners to try and um, get information together, identify research gaps, get more collaborative, resilience work funded. Um, as far as back to the seawater system, we had uh, a, student's w a student working on, and she continues to work on several crab species, green crabs, fiddler crabs, purple marsh crabs, how do their growth cycles, growth rates, um, how how fast do their babies grow under different um, water conditions or 
water temperature conditions. Right. Also, oyster drills, which uh, the they're like the inch long corkscrew white shell that you see on the beach. Yeah. yeah. Um, looking, at, so they are shellfish predators, and looking at again how fast they grow, how fast their their babies grow um, under different. Uh, climate conditions. Interesting. What yeah. kind of impacts are you seeing here around Hodgkin's Cove? Because I think most, a lot of people, we, we're, you know, we're a coastal community. Yeah. We want to know what's happening. And co climate change is a slow-moving uh, process. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit invisible, but before you know it, you see some, you know, something happening. You're seeing some damage um, along with our storm mm -hmm. surges. What do you yeah. What are you seeing here? You know, I worked um, on coastal resilience issues in the in the Great Lakes for several years, about 10 years, and I used to say I had sea level rise envy because you really couldn't see um, some of the climate change impacts there. There's uh. no tidal system here. You know, we've got a, a nine nine plus foot tidal change, and um, as as sea level rises, we will see more and more storm damage. Uh, as we see more uh, frequent and more intense storm events see more flooding, um, more more insurance claims, which that has a trickle-down effect into mm -hmm. the economy, right? right. Um, with, a, with a warming Gulf of Maine, the Gulf of Maine is warming faster than over 90% of the world's oceans. Uh, that means changes in fish populations, which fish are here, which fish are coming in or moving out. How does that affect livelihoods, people who fish for the fish? Mm -hmm. um, how does that affect the way shellfish and, uh, and lobsters grow? That's another, um, you know, community. The community depends on those um, economic resources. So you're also part of a statewide group looking at Great Marsh um, resiliency as well, because a lot of folks maybe don't know that the marshes are in danger uh, related to sea level rise. Mm -hmm. What are you doing in the statewide group? Yeah, so it's. Uh, I'm running a salt marsh working group for the, uh, it's a statewide working group, not just the Great Marsh, but it's um, for the Massachusetts Ecosystem Climate Adaptation Network. So Mass ECAN, That's if you wanted to Google <laughs> Mass that. Mass ECAN. Yes, and there are several working groups. The one I'm um, co-running with Adrian Peppel through the Coastal Zone Management Program is looking at, um, well, that, that mapping tool that I mentioned, mm -hmm. that is a product of that working group. So at first it was just going to be Massachusetts researchers and then folks from Maine and New Hampshire oh. and Rhode Island called up and said, well, we're cool. doing research in Massachusetts. Can we be in the group? Right. Absolutely. Right, because we know that climate change doesn't have geographical boundaries like our states do. Right, and we've got right. so much salt marsh in Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. The Great Marsh, as you mentioned, largest um, in New England, largest contiguous salt marsh in New England, really uh. pristine. Mm. Um, and, and, and acting and reacting really differently than some yeah. of the marshes down on Cape Cod and the islands. And so interesting to get all those different perspectives on a call that we're having every couple months or so. And we've had a series of lightning talks and, um, you know, saying how might um, a state program run through the CZM, which they're looking at a, a, a blueprint for coastal marsh resilience that'll be due out sometime in 2020. And getting this group together early trying to understand who's doing what, where, and why, trying to understand where the research gaps are, what are the research priorities, how could we work better together to set some goals with meaningful metrics, how do we think about collaborative and, and creative financing strategies for that work, that's what, that's what that group's about.
Katie, you're doing great work out here. It's exciting. Yeah. Well, when do the new students arrive for, for this semester? Yeah, they, they aren't taking classes out of the Marine Station. So mm -hmm. the primary activity right now is happening during the summer months. Okay. Um, I am teaching a course, actually. I live stream it out of the Marine remotely, Station yeah. in the spring. Yeah. Um, and certainly we are looking at getting more field trips out here from Amherst and mm -hmm. the other um, UMass campuses and um, looking for ways to do short courses, maybe certificate courses. We've just moved through a year-long um, uh, strategic planning effort, really trying to understand how, what's it, what is the niche for this station for UMass, for mm -hmm. our students, for our researchers, for our stakeholders on the North Shore. Um, what should, could, should this be? And what, what do the research and education and engagement programs look like? So ask me that question right. in we another gonna year. Say, We're going to yeah. have is it there, back. Yeah. Is there a long view from either UMass's stance or from your stance? Yeah, and, and we'll be putting that plan out in uh, the next couple months, totally I Totally impressed Maureen with that question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> out of left field, yeah. <laughs> bringing it home. Um, yeah, we'll have that plan out and, and we'll lay out lay out a five-year strategy for what we aim to do. Mm -hmm. So it's exciting stuff. Yes, it is exciting stuff to see yeah. this back in action yeah. and somebody like you here with us uh -huh. and, um, well, and, and doing this great work. And so many people locally don't really know what's going I on I know, here. so that's and, why it's so fun to have have now we're yeah. here, right in this beautiful location. And actually, I just, I've been out here by myself during the winter months last year, but we just hired an, um, a counterpart for me. She's more on, I, where my expertise is more on the coastal resilience side of things. Her expertise is on the sustainable fishery side of things. Mm -hmm. So Super. she'll be working on a grant that we just received from the Seaport Economic Council. Oh, very cool, on yeah. Sustainable fisheries. Um, Adrian Jordan will be out here more and more. Dr. Brian Chang, Dr. Lisa Komorowski, Dr. Allison Bates. They all have different expertise and they um, they were out a lot this summer and you'll see more of them around Cape Ann. That's great. Well, we're looking yeah. forward to hearing more from you, Katie. Thank yep. you so much for yeah, being thanks, on. Katie. Thank you, both. Awesome. Right. Great. Katie Call. The Extension Assistant Professor of Sustainable Fisheries and Coastal Resilience at UMass Amherst, embedded here at the Gloucester Marine Station where we're having our live broadcast. Our next guest is Tom Starr. He's a professor at Northeastern University in the Department of Art and Design. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hello, you, Tom. Thanks for being time. here. Yeah, yeah. So, great. So, <clears throat> Tom, you created this public art project that's based in Essex around the Great Marsh where Katie was just talking about. Right. Could you explain your project? Yeah, well, my project uh, attempts to close the psychological gaps that uh, prevent people from relating to climate change. So many of the effects of climate change are on a global scale or they're in the Arctic or uh, things like that. And, um, and that's a, you know, been a, a real problem why it's been renamed from global warming and things like that. And so the two issues are uh, time and space. So um, one thing is that uh, it, you know, climate change is going to happen, uh, you know, in the future, um, yeah. even though we see some of it happening, right. now, as you mentioned. Right. But and also it, ha it happens in other places. So uh, my concept was to bring the science right into the public realm where uh, people could encounter it uh, as a, a landmark in the environment where an effect will actually take place. Mm -hmm. So. Um, it really was kind of uh, re, uh, reverse engineering what's in reports that live on websites that people don't tend to go to read True. Uh, and bring it to the people in the street where they could encounter it. And then through that, um, there's a QR code on these uh, plaques that uh, connect them to more information and eventually to the actual uh, data on the Town of Eskis website oh, that's cool. that where the information originated 
Yeah. And right off the top of my head, I immediately picture the signage at the causeway, talking about the rising sea level there as well. Right, right. Yeah, so, tell us about that. Right, so um, the, um, the way I dealt with time in this is from uh, framing the, um, the wording of the plaques in the past tense, like as if there were uh, historical plaques of the future from the 22nd century, uh -huh. looking back at things that happened to us in the 21st century. And so the dates on the plaques are usually all much in the future from where we are now, like 2057. Mm -hmm. But um, in, in the case of the causeway, there is one that's dated 2018 because, in fact, the causeway flooded in 2018. The Essex Causeway we're talking about. Yes, it will flood worse in the future. But, but that actually makes the, the chronology of the plaques, there are six of them in Essex, uh, you know, f uh, a smooth transition from the recent past to, you know, our yeah. future. Mm -hmm. Well, it's thought-provoking, um, the, the plaques, because when you see signage, it's really important to actually have that um, that immediate reaction. What, 2057, what, what, is this, what is this talking about? But it gives you a sense of time um, of what could happen in a fairly close amount of time. And we're coming up on 2020. 2057 right. is not that far away. No, exactly. Yes, it gets closer all the time. Um, and you know, I think that you know, time travel has been, uh, you know, is somewhat familiar from Back to the Future and other, uh, yeah. many other films, uh, and and books, like H.G. Yeah. Wells. And one of the uh, devices of it is, you know, whether we should go back in time, and affect our future. And so, you know, by seeing these dates in the future, like 2057 or 2072, uh, it enables people to maybe stop and think for a minute once they regroup and return to 2019 in their mind, mm -hmm. what can I do or how can I engage in this by either seeing what the town of Essex is already doing. And that was, you know, impressive to me that on the local level, um, there's much more being done than maybe we would like the UN to be doing. Um, and that, you know, people are taking it very seriously, both, um, both in terms of predicting the effects or projecting what the effects would be, but also in how they can mitigate these things. And so, in a way, um, reading the reports is, is alarming, but it's also reassuring that, you know, somebody is behaving like a grown-up and, mm -hmm. and trying Something's to confront these things in our, in our small town. What do you feel the role of art is in, um, in, in helping folks understand climate change? Because I feel like, you know, the arts is one area where a social issue um, a moral issue like climate change can be seen as can can funnel understanding through art. What, what do you right. say accessible. about that? Yeah, it makes well, it more I, accessible. I think yeah, it's by making it visual, it does uh, seem to catch people off guard. For instance, I mean, there've been countless news stories, and that doesn't seem uh, uh, to affect people as much. And so, I think it has a, a, a role to play. So, climate change communication is actually a field because it's so troubling that people aren't right. in, engaging with it. And my field is broadly visual communication and information design. And so I'm kind of combining the strategies of public art where you, you put something in the environment for people to encounter, although this project is a piece of information. It's not you know, a flamboyant uh, decoration or, right. some, or something yeah. like that. And so I was trying to combine these two strategies into, uh, into, into something that would be you know, more effective in communicating what can sometimes be you know, uh, dry data right, or right. alarming, just simply alarming. Yeah. So they kind of disarm people really from, yeah. uh, you know, worrying about it. Anything we should look for coming out of Northeastern University's art and design department? 
Um, well, I have a colleague that's also working on this topic, and, uh, and both of our projects are, are actually in, a, in an exhibition in uh, the city of Cambridge, which is another one of uh, uh, the municipalities that I'm working mm -hmm. with. You know, I, I envision it as a regional um, initiative, so Essex is you know, hopefully the model for the rest of the Great Marsh mm -hmm. towns. And so, but anyway, that exhibition uh, has other uh, artists' uh, takes, including uh, including mine, on this and a prototype of what the installation will be in Cambridge. That's great. Well, Thomas Starr from Northeastern University, thank you so much for joining us. Thank yeah. you for having me. Have a really great, all the, way from, all the way from Boston. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for I live for in Essex up. County, so it's not too far. Okay, yeah. that's okay. great. Yeah. That's great. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for joining Tom. us, Tom. Um, so you can find the plaques out in front of C.K. Pearl, and there's one in uh, front of J.T. Farnham's. And Kenoma Point, there's one Kenoma out there too. Kenoma Point, yep. yep, there are a bunch of them around, so take a look at it. If you're driving down the causeway, just pull over and go take a look. Yeah, for real, it caught my eye. It literally says, yeah, in 2057, basically, uh, bye-bye. <laughs> there's <laughs> going to be a bridge coming over. Yeah. We had to rebuild the bridge. So our next guest. Yes. Oh, is this Mike? Yeah. Mike yeah. Cavallo. Mike oh, my Cavallo. God. we got a heavy header this time. What's up, brother? I know. Good Mike, you. thank you so much for coming on. Good Speaking to be with you. Directly into the mic. Flipping my notes over from Mike. Um, Mike, you're an environmental lawyer. Uh, you've also had some uh, very impressive uh, appointments to the national. Tell me about that one. Uh, so for the last 20 years, I've been yep. affiliated with the National Council for Science and the Environment, mm -hmm. NCSC, and uh, had an opportunity to do some really interesting work with that organization. And I started with youth, youth mentoring programs in the environmental space. And uh, I stepped down in, uh, in July because I wanted to come back to that space. I think it's very important for, uh, for where we're going on this topic. Right, so talking to young people, mentoring young people through the process. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing right now. I, I know that you, are, you focus on um, uh, the clean air, clean water. I work primarily in the Clean Water Act space and uh, I'm a trial lawyer. So communicating scientific literacy to jurors is, is what I try to do. Uh, and I do it in a variety of different areas. Um, I work here in Massachusetts and New England. I also work in, in Georgia and have an office down there. And it's, it's a very different type of communication that, that occurs down there. Mm -hmm. A lot, our scientific literacy here in New England is much higher. And so it takes a little more convincing. What are you seeing, uh, you've been, um, You've been in a number of different uh, positions globally. And what is your sense of how climate change is moving forward right now? What are you seeing uh, as you go around the world and you're experiencing both um, you know, from a regulatory uh, perspective, a legislative perspective, but also what, do you, what are your observations in the field? So uh, I've had an opportunity to go to Antarctica back in 2018 on an expedition down there. And, I was working on a paper on international environmental law involving the Treaty of Antarctica, but I was able to work with a bunch of scientists, glaciologists, uh, divers uh, that were all collecting data uh, on what was going on down there. Um, this past year I had an opportunity to represent the United Nations Environment Program for North America at the uh, UNEA4 uh, summit in uh, Nairobi, Kenya. Um, the United States uh, had a delegation there. I was a delegate for the United Nations. And the, unfortunately, with the, the current um, political climate, uh, our policy folks are just not listened to. They're not taken seriously. And, and that's a real challenge, and it's unfortunate. Um, with changes in, in 
more, hopefully more scientific literacy, people will start, I think, moving towards a uh, better understanding as to why the space is so important and how it affects all of us in so many ways. I think on the, on the legislative side, we're seeing some, um, this is a very unusual time. Right. Uh, in, in my 30 years of working in this area, I, I've never seen anything quite like it. Like what? Uh, for example, that we see in California the rollback on the EPA. the air oh, the, EPA, I was going to ask you about rollback. the EPA, it, it, EPA a, rollback. You mean on the car emissions? Um, on or the car the, emissions, the you can you can talk about the car emissions. You yeah. can talk about the challenges you know that uh, are being made on the Clean Water Act side of yeah. things. Uh, it's it's across all media at all levels, and it's, it's a dismantling of uh, environmental protections that have benefited us enorm enormously yeah. uh, over the years. So we're seeing a rollback there. Uh, I believe that many of these will go absolutely nowhere. They're going to tie up a lot of courts and a lot of lawyer time. Mm -hmm. um, most of those battles will be felt, uh, fought by um, nonprofits, and they're going to need our support. Uh, but there are challenges in the states. It's also draining the resources of the states. So the states yeah. are going to have to put uh, a great deal of effort in to try to uh, hold the line on some of these protections we've yeah. fought so hard for the last 50 years to get. Right, and you, and you see that in the rollback on the protections from streams, and other kind of waterways, estuaries, and um, what what um, what do you think is the most important thing right now that folks should be aware of uh, from your perspective and the work that you're doing? Sure, um, scientific literacy is going to change the outcome here. Yeah. The more folks understand the science behind it, and I'm not suggesting that we all need to become scientists. That's not mm -hmm. practical, and, and mm -hmm. it's not realistic what we need to do is have an understanding as to how science influences our lives. If you're a lobsterman, you know that the environment's changing. Mm -hmm. If you're the, I was talking to the head of a Fortune 100 company a couple of months ago, and he's the director of sustainability there. He's got the best job in this company, he says. But he's also clear to say that his company does not need more directors of sustainability. They need business people and supply chain people and, and everybody in their in their program and their company to understand the role that sustainability plays yes. as part of their mission of the company. Right. And I think more, as more corporations start adopting a sustainability component to their mission, we will advance the ball on the economic side of it as well as the yeah. political side. I just think that that's just the leverage point that businesses aren't necessarily taking advantage of right now because they have this power, they're building the supply chain. Oftentimes you can really force sustainability and initiatives right through the supply chain, just like Walmart has. Um, they've had some good, um, good experience in that. But, um, you know, it, you've got an open, you know, audience in a workforce, right? You've got employees Absolutely. and you build sustainability right into those roles and performance. Um, and, and, and you've got an opportunity to see that really happen over time. There's a narrative that's developed where uh, environmental issues tend to be binary where you're either yeah. for us or you're against right, us. And, right. and we have to get past that. This yeah. is something that affects all of us. And by putting our critical thinking hats on, I think that's the, the, an important component of becoming scientifically literate. Mm -hmm. It's actually right. the underpinning of science, right? You need to yeah. cr think critically about data. And as we do that and as that develops, we're going to get more engagement. Mm -hmm. We also have to get past this notion that science and climate change and environmental protection can exist in a healthy economic climate. It's totally true. You know, yeah. and, and that is something, there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation out mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. I, I think, unfortunately, many much of that is deliberate, but it, it that is just not 
accurate, right? right? That's just not what's happening here. And while you're here on our show today, you also have a talk coming up on Saturday, uh, the 28th. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're going to be talking about? Yeah, Mike, you live in Manchester. In, in Manchester. Say, yeah. I do. Yeah. I live in Manchester. Um, when I came back from uh, Antarctica, I wanted to share the experience uh, with everybody who was willing to listen. And uh, my wife and two kids were tired of listening to my story, so we, we thought we'd, we'd, we'd expand it a little bit and, uh, and put together a presentation from 8 to 80. Um, uh, True North Brewing had uh, given me a T-shirt, and they supplied some free beer, so we had a we had a pretty good crowd. The first I time. didn't get a phone call that day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we'll be giving a, a, a discussion tomorrow at the Manchester Public Library at 2 p.m. It's free. It's a lecture. You can come in and and see some uh, underwater video from Antarctica. You can learn about birds and whales. And the interesting thing in 2018, we were having better weather in Antarctica than we were having here. Right. Um, and uh, that was uh, that was kind of an experience. So, like, I know, oh, sorry, Mark. I, like a passion of yours is diving as well. It is. Yes. Oh. I know you dive locally. Did, were you diving in Antarctica? I was scuba diving in Antarctica. I tend to bring my scuba kit with me wherever I go. No so kidding. I was in Mombasa, uh, Kenya, when I was down there for the Nairobi conference. I brought my gear and. I've got one continent left to go, uh, Australia, and then I'll, oh, I'll beautiful. get my seven for seven. Yeah. Well, the Great Barrier Reef, I don't know if you'll see much down in that area. Well, we're going to try to get there soon before Good. that changes. Yeah, get there before it changes. Mike Cavallo, thank you so thank much. You it's much. such a pleasure to meet you. My pleasure. Thank you for being on Now Thanks We're Here. Thanks for your time, Mike. Appreciate that you. That was great. That's great. Yeah, you can look for Mike tomorrow over yep. in Manchester, right? Yep. Over in Manchester, Manchester at the library. Public Library, yep. 2, 2 p.m. free event for you yeah. folks. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Awesome so work. Our next guest is Eric Majors. He's oh, the, He's the executive director hi. of Seaside how you Sustainability. Doing, man? Good to see you. Hi. Hi, Eric. Hi, how hi. you doing? Good. How are you? Good to see you. You too. Um, thanks for being on, Eric. Uh, Seaside Sustainability has been around for how many years now? Like five? No, Four, two three? and a half. Two and a half? Really? I'm giving you some, yeah. some extra time. Um, and tell us what Seaside Sustainability is doing because you are really ramping up some great stuff these days. We are. Um, so we have two divisions. Um, we have sustainable oceans and education. Yeah. In sustainable oceans, we're doing work in uh, legislation. So on a lot of single-use plastics. Yeah. Um, we just passed a, a couple of those thanks to some really great help from uh, Denise Donnelly from Rockport and Leslie. Waylon and um, Ken Hecht, so some great people mm -hmm. helping that out. This is Gloucester City Council. That's Gloucester and Rockport. Yeah, uh, Gloucester we're Rockport. also working Essex and Rockport, yeah. uh, about to do some thing. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Essex and Beverly. Uh, we're, we have some education division, um, or some parts of that as well, where we have a, uh, a, um, uh, a field trip and uh, lots of kids from uh, essentially elementary through college coming out and uh, experiencing uh, our issue of microplastics and mass macroplastics uh, on our mm -hmm. on the Cape Ann, which we have a lot of, which is uh, kind of a bummer. Okay, so tell us a little bit about that because microplastics, uh, describe what microplastics are and I'll ask you another question yeah. about plastics in the ocean. So as plastics uh, degrade, either photodegrade or they get into the ocean um, and or uh, just in our environment, uh, they break down. And so they, say a straw ends up in the ocean. Sure, it's it doesn't even have to down. end up in the ocean, but yeah, it can biodegrade. Yeah. I mean, apparently we, our science um, s suggests that we are actually breathing it in right now, uh, microplastics. So they de biodegrades, biodegradable is not necessarily the term that it used to be, um, but uh, it degrades into smaller and smaller and smaller parts, and so we end up eating it. And uh, the more mm -hmm. plastics that's in our environment, 
the more macroplastics that break into microplastics. Mm -hmm. and yeah. So there's a problem. So we do actually a lot of trawls uh, in and around Cape Ann. Yeah. And uh, the good thing is we don't have a lot of microplastics. The oh. bad thing is we have a lot of macroplastics. All right, what are you seeing out there? And how do plastics get into the waterways and especially into the ocean? Mm, there's, well, there's two real, uh, there's two uh, parts, really, groups. There's um, consumer marine debris and then there's fishing industry and that, that whole um, thing. And um, so there is uh, a considerable amount of consumer debris that is coming from us. Um, you guys are drinking out of that and I'm right here. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's, we all have that choice of what we do with our, with what we buy um, and what yeah. we consume. Um, the unfortunate thing is that uh, we put our things into a recycle bin that we think is maybe being recycled. And unfortunately, it's not necessarily being recycled, uh -huh. uh, especially if you have an open bin um, and wind comes along. That's just going right into the storm drains. Um, you know, a fact around 90 percent of all storm drains in the country leads to the ocean, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, that's, so that's incredible. over nine. That's an incredible stat. Well, that's why cigarette butts, you know, all that, yeah. that's number one in the world for uh, marine debris. So, you know, cigarette all that cigarette butts. butts, flick, 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 and then, you know, yeah. so. Even if you're um, flicking it off in the car. You're flicking it off in the car. Yeah, and it ends up in the ocean. Exactly. Yeah. Ended up in the ocean. So right. All over the world. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, no more of that flicking, Maureen. Thanks uh, a lot, guys. So, and then, so smoke. macroplastics, we're actually uh, working with a couple groups on mapping some macroplastics. We do a lot of cleanups. Um, yeah. We actually have, with Cape Bay Maritime Partnership, we have two sea bins in Gloucester. Mm -hmm. We're uh, testing those, so they're mm -hmm. seem to be working really well. Cool. Um, we have also a skimmer in Gloucester, down at Maritime Gloucester, so yeah, those yeah. are, seems to be working well enough as, yeah. as kind of like a test. Mm -hmm. So it's good. And you're working on some issues locally that you're hoping reaches a federal level we as well. We are. Um, well, actually, in our other division, in our education division, we are about to launch. November 1st, we're launching a, what's called National STEM Honor Society, Science, Aww. Technology, Engineering, Math. Maureen was critical in the development of that two years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's been two and a half years in the making. Yes. Um, and uh, it's infused with sustainability. So. Yeah. Uh, we had this great idea of how do we get sustainability in schools across the country yep. and we came up with STEM. It's the best way to get it in because yeah. everyone's doing STEM. Yeah, everybody's nope. doing STEM. Yeah, nobody's doing sustainability. Nope, so we're just building it right in. Yeah, well, no schools yeah. are. Yeah. So yeah, well, yeah, so it's kind of like getting into the back door mm -hmm. of, of uh, STEM. Mm -hmm. So uh, that launches, uh, it's kindergarten through college. It's actually our tagline's K to career. Uh, pretty great. exciting. That's exciting stuff. You yeah. Came up with that. Yeah. Uh, and the other, the other education Note program. Note to self, patent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember the day we came up with yes. that. That was a yeah. good day. Trademarked. Really it's all, it's everything awesome. Is all good. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Everything is good, right? Yeah. Uh, and then the other education program we have is um, Green Scholars. So that is a project-based learning and sustainability for middle school, high school. It's yeah. in lots of local schools. We've trained over. 550 people to do it nationally and then uh, goal for 2021 is to put it on a website so it's like a video based so we don't have to I don't have to drive around fly around to do these trainings right, like right. you know so yeah do them on the video yeah one thing I want to ask Eric too is like you get interns from the world over we do How yeah, this that, is impressive yeah. Eric this is so impressive we have everybody wants interns right <laughs> you're the master at getting interns well I think it has to do with my uh, my past as being a teacher yeah. in project-based learning but yeah. Um, 
We have accredited internships in 780 colleges and universities around the world. Oh, wow. Which means those students can get credits for having an internship with us. Mm -hmm. Essentially, we have, are maintaining about 50 interns, local and virtual, uh, at, at any given time. Last summer, we had 64. We had 34 that were here. Um, so they're actually coming here to live here and to stay here and do an internship with us. So it's yeah. great. So and um, your uh, Instagram feed is great and shows. I have nothing profiles. to do with that. I, I have nothing to do with it's that. Great. I know he media. has nothing to do with it. That's <laughs> why you brought up the interns. Nothing to do with it. The interns are really good at that Instagram <laughs> yeah. feed. And I don't think I'm on it. I hope I'm not. On it. I try <laughs> to avoid. Maybe I've seen you a couple of maybe times. Maybe like the backside of me, yeah. Yeah. but not. So it's so key that you're doing this work here on Cape Ann because climate change is local. Right, we all know uh, climate change is local. So, and you're you're doing this work with young people, as Mike Cavallo just brought up. You know, he's getting back into mentoring. Mike rocks. Um, yeah. And you you've been doing this for so long, working with young people. It's also this great place to infuse inspiration. Yeah. I saw your folks at the climate march last Friday. Yeah. Uh, they were right in front of me. I'm like, hey, see signs of sustainability. Hey, way Actually, it's funny. I just saw a video of them, and I said, hey, that's Maureen in the background. Did <laughs> they like? In, did you meet her? And they're like, no. Did Dude, you? you not true. This, are oh. you serious? Well, one of them did not know that you were so sorry. Oh, it was one of them. You no, did not was... say hi to one of them, apparently. Oh, I'm so, sorry. So, no, sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> but we saw each other. Yes, we were there yes, marching yes, for yes. the climate. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Great. Yeah. What Great. specific things are being worked on right now through Seaside? Uh, we're working on some blue, more blue tech. Uh, we just got an underwater drone that um, unfortunately doesn't pick up plastics, but uh, it identifies them and has a, a hundred meter tether. It mm -hmm. doesn't go where Michael can go, but it can go pretty deep, Michael. Yeah. Are, Michael. <laughs> uh, maybe Michael can bring it and bring it down there. Hundred, hundred meters. So that's pretty good. Yeah, and then we ha cool. are about to get a, um, a uh, surface drone uh, that will, uh, it's called a bluefin, that um, essentially it's an autonomous drone that goes around. It's like a harbor Roomba. And, um, you know, I don't think it's actually going to make a huge difference in the plastics um, or floating marine debris, but I think it will be a really great educational tool. Gotcha. So, and then the launch of NSTEM is eminent, and that's pretty much consuming yeah. Yeah. my daily that's awesome. Yeah. Well, so great to Thanks, have you guys. on. Yeah. Thank Thanks, you. Eric. People want to learn more about Seaside Sustainability, seasidesustainability.org. Or they can go on social media, which I don't even yeah, know. Yeah, check out their Instagram Seaside. account. Yeah, yeah. You'll see Eric. Yes. You'll see Absolutely. everything else. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thanks for having them. Sure. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Eric, great news about Seaside Sustainability based in Gloucester and Rockport. Um, also doing work in Essex and Beverly. Our next guest By is By the way, Denise. Eric was our first two kiss guest. I'm jotting that down the margin here. Is that a, is that a suggestion? Denise! <laughs> Denise, you can yeah. get a hug. The bar has been set, Denise. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we got to get a Denise Donnelly in here. Denise is a select woman from Rockport. And Denise, you've been working with these young people on the plastics uh, bans, the plastic policies uh, in Rockport. Right. It's been extremely successful. And... Um, there's two plastic bans. Could you take us through sure. what's going on in Rockport? Right. So last year, we, uh, the town, town meeting yep. passed a ban on single-use plastic bags. Um, we learned a lot through that process. Right. We, you know, we were so enthusiastic about getting this done with the support of the green team in Rockport. That is a group of amazing students. Rockport students. High School green team, shout out. Unbelievable. Great work yes. out there. Great work. Yep. And. Um, so we were very enthusiastic about getting this bylaw passed and you know we realized in the process change is hard it's hard yeah. 
and we really didn't take into account how it was going to affect local businesses and they felt that we didn't give them enough time to make the transition. Uh, we did what we could, you know, Seaside Sustainability was great. We got reusable bags from them and um, uh, the shopping bags, but it really wasn't enough to help the, the businesses in Rockport transition. Mm -hmm. So um, at the subsequent town meeting, they put forth a proposal to extend um, the effective date. Mm -hmm. And so that will take effect on January 1st. So plastic bag ban in Rockport takes uh, effect January. January 2020. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and having learned that in that process, when we decided to move forward with the ban on plastic water bottles um, of a certain size mm -hmm. um, and plastic serveware for takeout food, mm -hmm. we thought, you know what, let's learn our lesson here and go out and have the interns from Seaside Sustainability go out and talk to the local businesses, mm -hmm. get their input, get a sense of how much time they were going to need and build that into uh, the proposal that we put before town meeting and that's what we did yeah so they now have a year to prepare work through supplies that they have on hand already figure out new supply um, mm -hmm. vendors mm -hmm. and get prepared for this new band so we're talking about single-use plastics we're talking about water bottles right um, we're talking about forks knives spoons uh, we're talking about food containers, correct? Right. Stirs, uh, stirs, stirs, and straws. straws. Oh, yeah. Yep. Those are all um, off the table. Right. Literally off the table. Correct. <laughs> off the table. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so, so what does this mean for Rockport? Because we're you know coastal town, and um, we have a lot of tourists coming in. And what are they, what's the purpose behind the policy? Well, the purpose is you know together we really thought we have a. a an obligation as stewards of this beautiful place to really do our part. We are on the ocean. And when people come into town, they want them to understand that we're a community that really cares about taking action and takes our role as stewards very seriously. One of the things the town is going to be doing is putting in refillable water bottle stations. So we're retrofitting existing um, water fountain so that you can refill a water bottle there uh -huh. and then we're also going to be putting in two new stations one at Back Beach one at Barletta Park downtown so mm -hmm. that tourists can see that we're we're taking action to help them we don't want people to go without water mm -hmm. obviously right. but um, we want to do our part we want to show that we mean this we're serious we're in this yeah it's great to see Rockport have this transition uh, from you know a used to be very traditional but it's moving forward and with these policies um, it has a green communities task force that's done great work they've done amazing work. and that's yeah. around energy efficiency Correct. for for the town of rockport yep. um, we're going to have greg katamatori on shortly to talk about his work in gloucester around this too um, but things are so moving forward in, in Rockport around energy efficiency, around carbon emission reductions in the municipality. What, what do you know about that area? Yeah, so I've been so impressed with the Green Communities Task Force. They've really gotten a lot done. And what I would say is what's quite impressive is the span of generations that's involved. So we right. have the green yeah. team on the one hand and students coming up through that group. So um, the seniors obviously will be graduating, but we have some really strong kids 
kids coming up the pipeline. And then we have the Green Communities Task Force who, um, it's, you know, it's older folks who have more time on their mm -hmm. hands to be able to dedicate, and they're quite committed to oh, what totally they're doing. totally committed. Yeah, they're really was, going for it. I was also impressed. I attended the Climate Crisis Action Meeting mm -hmm. in Gloucester on Wednesday night. There were 115 people there mm -hmm. from all over Cape Ann, yep. and I was thrilled to see Rockport well represented. We yes. had DPW commissioners. Mm -hmm. We had people from uh, the Conservation Commission. It was a great mm -hmm. event. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk to Dick Prouty a little oh, bit good. about that. Oh, good, Yeah, He's excellent. Here. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so there's so much work. Did you want to touch upon crew at all? Oh yeah, oh, can, yeah you, can you mention that? Because that's yeah. kind of a big deal too. Right, so uh, we got an email, the Board of Selecting got an email earlier this summer from an organization called Crew, Communities Responding to Extreme Weather, asking if the Board of Selectmen would um, certify that this is Climate Awareness Week and then sponsor an event as part of this um, initiative that they were sponsoring. So we agreed to do that, the board did do that, and then last night we conducted our event, which was to have Catherine Glenn, the regional coordinator for the Commonwealth's Coastal Zone Management, come and speak at the community house. It was an excellent event. Mm -hmm. She did a wonderful job of talking about barrier beaches, of which mm -hmm. we have a few in Rockport mm -hmm. and all over mm -hmm. Cape Ann, and the effect of climate change on barrier beaches. It was an educational event kind of helping to inform citizens about the things that we need to be thinking about in managing those beaches as we move forward dealing with climate change. It's a great, it's a great thing. Yeah, well I'm so glad that you've, you've done that crew. Yeah, I yeah. bet I was so inspired by Catherine last night and yeah. meeting some of the speakers here today that we're going to do a series. I've already signed Super. up one volunteer. Oh, great. I'll be collecting <laughs> cards from others. <laughs> yeah, that's so wonderful. We're going to do a series. Yeah. Well, Denise Donnelly, thanks for all thank your work you. as Select you, Woman yes, and for being you. on Now We're Here. Thank, thank you. Great to see you again. You too. Thanks for your work. Thanks, Denise. Beautiful. Um, I know. So we are having uh, a beautiful day here out here at uh, Hodgkins Cove. And we're going to be speaking with uh, Greg Catamatori next. He's the planning director. Greg, come on on. He's How you doing, Greg? Planning director Good to see you again. for the city of Gloucester. Greg, Good to see you. Great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, it's lovely to have you on. Yes, I'm and very, I mean, very fortunate to have uh, worked most of my professional career in Gloucester. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's beautiful. So, and we're, it's a great place it's, to be. It's hot. <laughs> yeah. We're trying to sustain that beauty now, right? That's right. That's right. It's heating, it's heating up here. Um, so, Greg, uh, you're the planning director for the city of Gloucester, and you've been involved in the Municipal Vulnerability Preparedness mm -hmm. Program, um, also known around town as MVP. Yep. Uh, and that's a state program. Could you explain first what this is? Sure. And how Gloucester has uh, um, integrated it into mm -hmm. its climate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, you know one of the great things about all the speakers that you have on here is is this really is becoming something that everybody is focusing on. Um, and that hasn't been the case probably, I've been here for 14 years and when I first got here, um, it wasn't part of everyone's discussion and, and now it is. And um, the state has really been an incredible partner for all the coastal communities and now expanding their programs to really look at other issues that haven't been focused on too much with, mm -hmm. some, uh, with the inland communities. Um, so they've really tried to put a structure in place to have, make sure that everybody is having this discussion and understanding mm -hmm where their vulnerabilities are and, and what they're gonna start doing to plan for it. Um, so they rolled out a process um, to support kind of a, a, an engagement of stakeholders. Um, we've had a lot of the same folks involved in, in this discussion again for you know the better part of the time that I've worked here. 
um, but really trying to focus it a little bit more to think a little bit more beyond just the coastal issues, um, mm -hmm. which we obviously face many challenges, mm -hmm. um, and start thinking about what else you need to think about. And um, So you mean the social side of things? You need infrastructure? Just like multi-layers, um, looking at you know what your needs are going to be for communication, um, because right. we are probably going right. to see more events where, where we're going to be vulnerable. Yeah. Um, but also looking at, um, in, in our particular case, we started to expand to look into what it means for our public water supply. Mm -hmm. um, so these are really things that are all the mechanics of everything that we do. We just have a, you know, a new level, a heightened level of, of stress that we have to be thinking about mm -hmm. um, and how we may have to do things differently. Could you give us some examples of uh, the areas that are, are vulnerable to uh, like storm surge, flooding? Sure. Because that, with sea level rise, you know, that's a big topic. Yeah on Cape Ann and, and what's happening in Gloucester? Sure, so um, we actually uh, had done a lot of work in advance of the MVP um, mm -hmm. program being rolled out. Um, and actually when we went for the initial um, designation, we thought we would just receive it because of all the work that we had already done. <laughs> um, but back in 2015, um, we worked with um, the best in the industry um, from engineering and modeling perspective um, with uh, organization uh, Kleinfelder as well, well as the Woods Hole Group. And we have on our city website very high resolution mapping of, of, of yeah, several it was, scenarios. It was a poor yeah, it's and very, very thorough. You know, when you start this process and you think out 2030, it's really around the corner, um, and also looking into the future at, at 2070 scenarios. And that's something that um, you know we as a city, as we engage in in looking at um, engineering design projects, mm -hmm. we're actually pushing the engineering community to to be thinking about these things, whereas you know, the typical tolerance that they have for risk is, is not as high as you think it should be. Mm -hmm. um, so I, again, I can't stress enough the, the partnership that we have with the state agencies, including coastal zone management, to really, you know, go that extra distance as we look at these projects to really prepare for a much longer term. So when you're looking at the Inner Harbor, for instance, where are the critical areas? Like we know that the causeway floods, mm -hmm. we know that the high school parking lot floods. Yep. Um, but you know, flooding, storm surge, uh, wh where are those vulnerable areas? Yeah, so we also have the great advantage of a lot of exposed granite and, and, yeah. and a lot of the coastline that rises fairly quickly and is actually not as vulnerable as you might mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. um, definitely the downtown infrastructure and the harbor is, is That's where a hot spot. we have to focus a lot of our energy. Um, we know what happened in 2018 uh, at the high school campus. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so we've taken steps to look at designing infrastructure to fortify that site. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really a mix of, of, you know, you have to make decisions on where you're going to continue to try to fortify and protect. And then other areas where you have to make potentially other decisions you to think to about. Room. Yes, exactly. Yeah, for, for yeah. So the inner harbor is yeah. key. Um, and that's, uh, it's a very, you know, challenging to, to, to make those decisions, whether you're going to have more of a macro solution or try to figure out ways to partner to basically work your way around the harbor. Do you have anything that you're working on in that, in relationship to that, in addition to what you've been talking about at the high school? Sure. So right now, actually, um, just this past month, um, now that there's actually two funding sources, you know, we've had the advantage and I guess disadvantage at the same time of being a coastal community of having support from coastal zone management through the executive office and uh, mm -hmm. um, the Baker administration. Um, but now the MVP program also is another potential funding source to help start solving some of these issues. 
And so we will actually be looking at um, the wastewater treatment plant, which oh, yeah. is obviously very, very vulnerable. vulnerable. Right. So yeah. we really have to look at things and prioritize in terms of, you know, if there's an impact, you know, which, w what of our critical infrastructure would have yeah. the greatest impact in terms of duration and number of, right. of you know, people be, you know, being yeah. impacted. So that would be the water so supply. That would this be, is on the causeway. Um, we're yeah. yeah, yeah, that would be the water supply. And that would also like the, the if it spilled over. I mean, if you don't have the operation of your wastewater treatment plant, you have, it, You've got it, a it, gets, it gets really serious right. very quickly. Very quickly, yeah. Um, so, so that's one of the focus of, yeah. of one of the efforts um, coming up this year. Can we talk about the people side? Because, sure. um, you know, when you're looking at vulnerability, you can also look at, you know, who's available, you know, the communications that you were mentioning. I'm very interested in how cities are planning um, that how do you reach the most vulnerable, mm -hmm. vulnerable people? You know, is there a plan in place in the neighborhoods? Um, I'm going to ask Val Gilman that I, question. And I'm glad that she's here because <laughs> um, you know there there is uh, obviously what we can do from a from a public safety perspective, yeah. um, and how those channels are worked to communicate with the community through um, both both police and fire and through the administration mm -hmm. during um, you know critical events. Um, but you know, getting back to you know, and you also hear from from Dick. Of, of just making sure that you understand where you live, who you live near, and going back, I mean, and if it's something that has to be uh, revitalized, but but just the communication among yeah. city streets, among mm -hmm. your neighbors, is one of the strongest things that you can have, because, mm -hmm. you know, somebody in that neighborhood will have an outlet to, to information as it comes in, but we right. gotta continue to, to share that information yeah. as, as it comes along. When you're talking about climate change in the city, whether it's in the planning department or citywide and groups like, you know, the Clean Energy mm -hmm. Commission and um, some other groups, what are, you, what are you really focusing on right now in the city of Gloucester? So we really do look at it on, on both sides of the equation in terms of um, greenhouse gas emissions or, or energy efficiency and renewables through um, our participation in the Green Communities Program. Mm -hmm. Um, again, I think we've been fortunate for, with our leadership at, in, in Gloucester to really um, go after every opportunity that's out there in terms of partnering. Um, statewide funding. Statewide funding, different programs. You know, Clean Energy Commission mm -hmm. bridges the gaps with some of the other nonprofits that are involved. And the effort that just occurred um, this past week was just a great, yeah. you know, everybody is talking about this and, and uh, everybody knows that we need to be doing something about mm -hmm. it, but trying to collaborate and focus mm -hmm. and coordinate is, is mm -hmm. really a challenge. Yeah, there's some exciting things happening this yeah. week in climate and mm -hmm. also here on Cape Ann. And Greg, thank you so much for being okay. on Now We're yeah, Here. Yeah, that was great, great. Yeah, yeah, it was It's great nice to, to be out that. of an evening meeting and into a setting <laughs> yeah, like yeah, this. Uh, yes. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, thanks for your you. time. Really appreciate Take it. Care. Wonderful. Greg Catamatori, Planning Director for the City of Gloucester, uh, talking about what the City of Gloucester is doing um, hey, around climate change. And we're welcoming uh, City Councilor uh, Val Gilman. Val, nice to, nice to see you. Come Hi, Val, on great in. Great seeing you. you. Thanks for joining us. So excited, excited to be here. Yeah. Wonderful. So Val is a Ward 4 uh, city councilor, and uh, we're here to talk about your neighborhood. Oh, great. <laughs> I love my neighborhood. <laughs> I live right up the street. Yeah. Are <laughs> there great. any sure, actual like, pressing issues going on in Ward 4 right now? Oh. In well, relationship to climate. So in relationship to climate, we're excited that in Dogtown, we have a new Dogtown Preservation Commission, mm -hmm. and we're starting to staff up and it's going to include our DPW, a public works director, and our new conservation agent, and some people that are really strong in the area of preservation. Right. So we're excited about that because one of the areas that came up in our MVP 
study was the importance of protecting our watersheds. Mm -hmm. That's right. And so that's a big, that's a big important issue. We're delighted that the seawall is beautiful now. We, we were able to take advantage of some great grants mm -hmm. and it's strong because right. that was really a vulnerable spot for and us in Lanesville. Yep. yep. And uh, the Cove, it's just, it's yeah, terrific. It's work, right? We yeah. came under budget and we had a celebration with the workers and it was so cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. So why is that important to put to fix the seawall out there in, in Lanesville? How does that protect the, the neighborhood? Well, it protects it a lot. And we still have some commercial fishermen that have their boats in there, as well as many recreational boats. Um, it protects the whole entire cove. There's quite a few houses in there. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, just, it's just such an important part of the yeah. community. Yeah. And we, so we were delighted when we were able to get that accomplished. And um, we're also, I'm very concerned about our zoning, and I know I'm grateful that our planning director and our community development group is working on the different type of zoning that we need to be focused on because I chair P&D and I wanna make sure that we make sure that our zoning, um, the city council is current and best practices for things like tidal surge and in right. um, rising seas. So okay, so let's talk about the zoning. What's necessary in the city of Gloucester, Ward 4, um, to address this through zoning, like what are the kinds of things that you are trying to either correct or make aware or make the change so that everybody's uh, following that policy? So there's a requirement that you have to put houses that are in certain locations nine feet up for FEMA requirements and with that become issues of the neighbors not liking the height because the house is already higher than they had liked. And, mm -hmm. and so there are ways that you know we can learn from other communities and figure out how can we put that all together so it can be a win-win. You know, we don't want people that have a lovely house someplace or a piece of property to be restricted, but at the same time, we have to be able to to make sure that we're all on the same page. So, so, so that, I think- is that, Does that uh, apply to uh, new construction? Or is that any kind of construction well, that would happen? It's both because both. Of if, if a house is destroyed and in in, in it has right. to be rebuilt, where can you yeah. put that when it's rebuilt? Can, yeah. you, can you change the zoning a little bit so it's further away from mm -hmm. the, the rising seas? Mm -hmm. And those are the type things that mm -hmm. are involved with, well, we, with zoning. Right, we see Cape Cod having this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that they have like, you know, the cliffs and the cliffs are being eaten away at Coastal Orgeon. Plum Island. Plum Island up here, yeah. um, is serious. I mean, we, we're on granite a lot of places, but there are beachfront homes. You know, we're looking at, um, you know, even Wingershiek. Yeah. Um, and uh, Long Beach and Gloucester, mm -hmm. um, other things. So how do you approach somebody who wants to do that? Is it just putting a, a house up on stilts? Is it, you know, is that what you're moving it back? Well, our, we do, our zoning does have those provisions now. We're just Great. trying to make it a little bit more proactive because, Great. so we, we do have, have zoning that has, takes that into account, mm -hmm. but we can get better because as the tides become more ferocious, we need to be better right. with what we're deciding that we're going to allow and we have to be careful one step at a time. Mm -hmm. um, so are you hearing from your constituents about climate change? Oh, constantly. What are they saying? Everyone's worried. Everybody's worried. I mean, worried. I, I'm delighted that so many folks that are on our volunteer boards are from this ward, which is really cool. Yeah. 
whether it be for, <laughs> do you on, have a critical mass on, of Wolf I Wolf? do it's great on clean Gloucester in the Clean Energy Commission and Town Green <laughs> mm -hmm. and and yeah. Seaside Sustainability we have we have a lot of people that are really charged up by climate change and and um, and they want to make a difference so we we really value that I also just wanted to mention um, our kids. I spend a lot of time at yeah. Plum Cove and Beeman schools, yeah. and I'm a former school committee person as well. And they're doing this program in all of our elementary schools uh, called Change is Simple. And it's absolutely it's great awesome. And, yep. and we're so charged yep. up about that because our kids are really starting to understand the impact of, of bottles and, and how many bottles one person drinks. And, and, and at Beeman, we figured there were 57,000 bottles a year in their fifth grade class when we did the session. Oh, and, wow. and, um, and, and so we asked the, the kids, you know, well, what can you do about it? And one person holds up her Nalgene bottle and says, I use this. And, <laughs> and, and so Great. we're getting the kids really into it. And the high school's doing some awesome yeah. things as well mm -hmm. with, so, our, um, with our science class yeah, under I Rachel Rex. programs over at Beeman this summer, actually. Mm -hmm. It's amazing work they're doing. Yeah, our students are going to lead. They're leading now. Our young people are leading. And so I'm, we couldn't have young folks on the, uh, on the show today because of during school hours. But we did try to get the youth voice here. And uh, it's wonderful to hear about what the students are doing both at Gloucester High and mm -hmm. Rockport High School, also Manchester Essex, and um, in the elementary schools. It's great to see these young folks taking this on as their issue. Yes, absolutely. Because we're getting tired. Well, no, we are still fighting. <laughs> Jeez, we're so I, I've got one thing, may, do <laughs> I have another yes, minute? Yes, yes. So another thing that is really important to us is the evacuation process. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we've been without power for three or four days yeah, in that right. storm yes. like two Octobers yeah. ago. And it was getting pretty chilly. And my always my biggest concern is making sure that people that are alone and aging in place have mm -hmm. someone to partner with. And I'm very fortunate that Anasquam has a terrific Good Neighbors program where they link a good neighbor to a person that is homebound, doesn't have relatives, and they find a um, a house that has a, a bed and a generator, mm -hmm. and that person becomes that person's guardian during these storms I didn't and know checks that. on them. This and is what I was talking to Greg about that I wanted to know um, about that. Like, I, I love the ideas of neighborhoods working together, mm -hmm. streets working together, mm -hmm. really, to make sure that the most vulnerable are being protected and cared for, especially in a storm event, especially in the winter time. Right, exactly. You know, yes. And so I've wonderful. taken their, they have a wonderful brochure. Yeah. I've shared it with the fire department. We're all looking yeah. at it as part of our evacuation process emergency. Mm -hmm. You know, we need people helping the police and fire, but not getting right. in their way right. in a way that we can really make a difference if people are vulnerable in a horrible storm or... So yeah. it's Very exciting. There's Val, a lot yeah. going on. Val, thank you so much for being on Now We're thank Here. You. It's wonderful yeah. to hear what's happening. I've enjoyed it. Thank on you. On Ward 4. Thank Thanks, Val. Val Gilman, Ward 4 Councilor. Val, we've been working with you a lot this fall for election season, by the That's way. That's right. Election thank season you. coming up. We'll get to that. Um, so, our, our last guest is Dick Prouty. Um, Dick is the uh, chair of Town Green 2025, uh, a Gloucester group that's working on energy efficiency, um, carbon reduction. Uh, in uh, all over Cape Ann, uh, reforestation, and Dick, welcome to the program. Thank great you, Maureen. You Congratulations on a great meeting Thank this week. Thank you, and in the interest of full disclosure, Maureen is the co-chair with me. I Maureen? Am. Yes, yeah. I am. <laughs> you lead the show with <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, Dick, tell us yeah. about the climate crisis um, action meeting that took place on Wednesday this week 
Sure. And uh, what what was happening there? Because it seemed like well, the impetus for this came from the uh, a new sense of urgency. I mean, Town Green is now four years old. We started in 2015, but there was a UN report in last late late 18 that really uh, got everybody on edge because it said we have 10 to 12 years to really get our act together globally and locally before we um, start suffering much more uh, intense storms and sea level rise and so forth. And we at Town Green started thinking, what can we do? We had we had a walk on Mark Nelson, who is a, a clergy who read the report and got said, you know, I'll give you, uh, you know, 10, 15 hours a week and help you organize to address this issue. We had always had in our town green plan that we wanted to have a much more uh, elaborate plan to get many more people involved. And this was our opportunity. So we worked for five months, uh, one meeting a week with an organizing committee. And it included town green act members, but also the Cape Ann clergy of, of uh, Cape Ann, a member of 34 clergy members. Seven or eight of them attended our event. So we had an event this last Wednesday at um, the senior center had over 100 people there. We had uh, business people, chamber and so forth. We had students, teachers, city administrators. Uh, the CEC was heavily represented. City council members were there. Val was there. Mm -hmm. um, and we had a good representative cross-section of um, over 100 people from all of Cape Ann. And that was important. Early on in Town Green, we said, should we be just for Gloucester or should we be for Cape Ann? And we decided Cape Ann because the four communities are so intertwined around their transportation and all the things that lead into our mission of reducing our carbon footprint. We have to collaborate to do that more efficiently. So we had uh, some conversations. We, had, we looked at rapid teaming skills that we're going to need in this complex environment over the next decade. And we came up with uh, our last question was, what bold ideas, if they were highly likely to succeed, would your table of four or five like to do? And we have 27 uh, flip charts with lots of great ideas we're going to be looking at and coming up together for a uh, follow-up meeting on uh, um, October, October 23rd. And we'll be planning uh, several in several smaller groups what that meeting will be looking like. But I think we're going to have a good turnout for that. We've had a lot of favorable uh, evaluations of the meeting from people who were very enthused about it. Um, Greg was at my table, yeah. Greg Camaturi. The mayor was my next table over. She had to leave halfway through because she had an important school committee meeting. But there was, uh, you know, Senator Tarr was there and, and Margaret Ferrante, Ferrante was there. And she stood up at the end and made an interesting uh, metaphor. She said, let's imagine that this is a public health crisis. And she said, we don't have to imagine it because it is. Yes. So let's take the public health model and imagine we had an epidemic. What will we do? How will we coordinate all of our resources? How will we get much more effective action between all of the parties on Cape Ann? And that's really what we're gonna do. I mean, we're gonna come up with a, a coalition type thing, not a new organization we imagine, but people staying in their organizations, but helping each other fulfill all of their actions in a plan that we will develop. That will have both a you know, three to five year thing and, prob and probably a 10 or tw and 20 year iteration mm -hmm. with a new vision. So that's where we're at. So Dick, I want to invite Lisa Smith on because uh, Lisa's part of our crew. 
Uh, Lisa's our floor manager and also um, been part of this uh, Climate Crisis Action Committee. So Lisa, what did you experience as part of the group that pulled this all together? Because as a community member, um, it, and climate change I know is important to you. Well, it was um, a great group of people. Mm -hmm. um, they were very committed to um, starting the organization and getting it going um, to get people into a room and seriously talk about um, the climate crisis that right. is happening and especially on Cape Ann mm -hmm. and so um, you know we met for months Thursday afternoons for really long lunch hours mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, we didn't know what would happen and right. And what happened was there were all these people from the community that were invited who came in and spent hours on Wednesday night yeah. to um, come up with ideas on what we could do as a group, as a community, to address the climate crisis. And it was very positive. So Lisa, you have a 13-year-old daughter uh, uh -huh. in the middle school here in Gloucester, and um, she's that generation that's going to be impacted by climate change. What do, what do you talk about with her? Well, she is, she's very concerned about it. You know, she's seen the calving of the ice in Antarctica and she, she looks, she looks up the science on what's going on and um, she's given up meat because that's her personal way of, and she loves to eat meat. She gave that up because of, um, you know, her carbon footprint. And so she, we went to the, um, climate strike in Boston on Friday which I was really proud that she did and she had a lot of friends there so it was a lot of fun for her to be there with her friends but her and her friends were very passionate once the march started and um, yeah they they really they're really concerned about their future mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it's great there's no planet B there is no planet B right. no no but this is it like Neil Armstrong looked up and he I don't remember the quote, but he was looking up from the sky and all these astronauts, I've never had their perspective, but this is the only place. This yep. is the only place. This is our only home. Yeah. That's great. Well, thanks so, for that perspective, Lisa. All right. Thanks, thanks for jumping on. All right. I'll jump back. <laughs> yeah, someone's going to manage the show today. I know. Lisa's our floor manager. She's <laughs> well, helping with all the guests. So, Dick, back to Town Green uh, 2025 for a bit. Um, tell us about some actions that folks can take here uh, on Cape Ann. To, to feel part of the process because we know that climate change is here. Uh, we know uh, that it's projected to get worse and everybody has a difference to make. And it, sometimes you can feel powerless in that moment as an individual, well, what, you know, what's this recycling thing? It's not gonna make a difference, but it does make a difference mm -hmm. even though recycling is getting, um, things are changing in that realm. But what, what do you say to folks out there who want to get involved well, or, I would, uh, number or one, make a difference. Yeah, find out what your family and personal carbon footprint is. You can go online and do that very easily. It takes about 10 minutes. And then there's all kinds of suggestions for your driving habits, the kind of vehicle you have, mm -hmm. the way you heat and cool your house, uh, the amount of the kind of electricity you use. All of these things will help you lower your footprint. And the goal is to get everybody to lower their footprint to zero by 2030 at the latest. Um, and that includes businesses and organizations as well as individuals. So Town Green is very dedicated to doing that and we've had three sustainability fairs. 
We've got a new active website with a whole page on this event, and the climate crisis plan is going to follow up about it. So if you go to towngreen.org, you can look at the climate crisis action planning and see what events we're having. I think we're going to have a new emphasis on public education, not just education in the schools. Where we, have a, we have a curriculum initiative to have K-12 sustainability, project-based sustainability curriculum but to have a lot of new uh, initiatives that would get involved in the communities. I mean, here in Lanesville, we're fortunate that we have at Lanesville Community Center that's very interested. We have involved churches, the, the Lutheran Church, the Congregational Church. The temple. The temple uh, is very involved. So we've got a lot of different clergy. So I would say get involved in an organization that fits your temperament and predilection but also just find out what you can do personally and as a family, because if everybody does that across Cape Ann and across the country and across the world, it makes a huge difference. And vote, go to vote. Yeah, right. I, I just wanna say, I think that when I first made this pitch back to um, about Town Green to Mayor Kirk, and I said, why do we wanna do this? And the main reason we wanna do this, we wanna differentiate Cape Ann to be a leader in becoming carbon neutral. Mm -hmm. So Town Green is to become a create a carbon neutral community. And what I want to do as part of the plan going forward is to invite communities in primarily Europe that have already done this already. So there are Danish, uh, German, Czechoslovakian communities that are carbon neutral right now. A lot of it is clean energy, but some of it is at offsets. And uh, we can do the same thing. And when we do, we can get the, one of the benefits that they do is they are now eco-tourist destinations. This is going to be an increasingly a uh, big tourism issue is where can I go to learn more to help my community and hope we want to make Cape Ann one of those magnet communities. Well, Dick, thank you so much for... Um, thank you for this show. Yeah, yeah, I learned a yeah. lot. This is it's a great, great show. It's great and congratulations on a successful meeting on the climate crisis and really all the work yeah. moving forward. All came together. If people want to learn more about Town Green 2025, how can they do that? Towngreen.org. Yeah. There Website. you go. That's great. Yeah. Thanks, Dick. Thanks, Dick. Really Good appreciate you. your time. Well, that's that's all we have for our show. Wow, that was, a big, that was a big show. That was a big show. Was that two shows? No, that was one. Okay, <laughs> the sun's getting to me. Um, I know. Yeah, it's it's pretty hot out here. Talking about warming. Um, thank you for watching and staying with us. We have some shows coming up. Yeah. Uh, for now, we're here again. Now we're here is a program in which we visit all of the communities on Cape Ann, and we um, we do get to them either visiting uh, directly uh, on location or we do a show like this where we have representatives come in from all the communities to talk about what's happening. Right. So, so yeah, in October we're, we're going to be at Hammond Castle Friday, October 18th for a special Halloween edition. Yeah. And you can see the new castle. There's a transformation going on. They're getting the sort of away from the medieval thing and focusing yeah. on Hammond's inventions. So mm -hmm. uh, they're going through a huge transition. The following day, Saturday, uh, October 19th, we'll be at the Rockport Harvest Fest. The following weekend on the October 26th will be at Essex Clam Fest. That's right. And then Friday, November 8th, we'll be at the American Legion in Gloucester for a special um, on uh, circled around the veterans. Yep, we're going to do a show on veterans and veterans issues right before Veterans Day. Yeah, and then we're going to be at the Open Door Food Pantry the Friday before Thanksgiving. I That's think it's November, November 22nd. 22nd. Yeah. yeah. And then at the Beauport Hotel sometime in the Christmas holiday season. Yeah. So we have a full lineup of guests. Um, we, we love doing this show. I think it's love so much it. fun. I want to it's, do this every day. I know. It's great to be on location. And thank you to Katie Call and the Gloucester UMass Amherst Marine Station for hosting us today. I mean, what a beautiful view out behind us. We haven't been able to turn around and much look, but it's, a, it's beautiful. 
And thanks a lot, Katie. Thanks to uh, UMass Amherst for hosting us. And, and all of our guests today. Eric Majors, Denise Donnelly, Greg Hadamatori, Val Gilman, Mike Carvalho, Dick Prouty. Who else do we have in there today? Uh, oh, Greg um, Hadamatori, did you, um, Greg? The art display. Denise, oh yeah, Tom Starr. Tom Starr. And um, Denise, Denise Donnelly, did you, did you mention yeah. Denise? Yeah. yeah. Did we forget anybody? No, I don't think so. We'll find out. <laughs> You'll tell us if we did. <laughs> Sorry if oh, we And we have to thank our crew. Yep, thanks to our crew, our director, Becky Tober, our technical director, Matt McMakin, our floor manager, Lisa Smith, and our camera people, Don Epstein and David Lufkin, as well as our intern, um, Maya uh, Gerard. Mm -hmm. And we can't forget Alana Horn, our production assistant. Did I remember everybody? Our whiteboard artist. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to Eric Archer, our executive producer and executive director of 1623 Studios. I'm Maureen Aylward. Oh, I'm Corey, not Aylward, though. <laughs> Corey, Corey Kukuru. Yeah. And this is Now We're Here, coming to you live from Hodgkin's Cove. Until the next time on Now We're Here, thanks for watching. Take Cheers. care.